Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Fertility in Focus podcast. I'm your host, Christina Burns. I'm a doctor of natural medicine specializing in the treatment of infertility via natural and integrative methods. I founded the Naturna Institute in New York City, where my team and I work with women and couples, often in collaboration with Western medical doctors, to guide the path to healthy conception. In this podcast, you'll learn all about your body and everything in the fertility landscape to help you realize your dream of baby. I'll be bringing you the best of advice from experts in the fields of both natural and conventional medicine, as well as the heartfelt and very helpful stories of brave fertility heroes on their path to baby. Let's dive into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Today's episode is a nutrient spotlight on myo-inositol. This supplement has a lot of buzz in the fertility community, and there's some good research to back up its use to improve egg and embryo quality and potentially also implantation. I wanted to kind of go through what it is, what foods it's found in, um, dosages, who it's for, and maybe who also it's not for. Uh, So let's dive in. Myonositol is not exactly a vitamin. It's a chemical compound known as an isomer, but it's often referred to as a vitamin within the B vitamin family. Um, It comes from nature. It is found in fruits, beans, grains, nuts, bell peppers, tomatoes, potatoes, asparagus, leafy greens, citrus eggs, coconut, and uh, grass-fed beef. That said, it's really hard to get the therapeutic dosages from food, so it's often something that's supplemented. But I still suggest you, you know, you eat the foods, the healthy foods that are mentioned, the leafy greens, citrus, eggs, coconut, grains, nuts, just so that you're getting some from nature and then some from the supplemental form. It is known as the vitamin form of the diabetic drug metformin. Metformin is an insulin sensitizer that is often used for women who have, or women or men, who have insulin resistance. And insulin resistance is like a kind of hallmark characteristic of PCOS. And it's sometimes tricky to diagnose. So we're going to get into a little bit of that just to know if this might be right for you, but know that it's, you know, often prescribed for PCOS, that it's an insulin sensitizer. Um, and so we're really looking at it for people who have blood sugar and insulin issues. It has a bunch of benefits. So even though the underlying mechanism is more as an in- insulin sensitizer, because it helps to do that, it can also help to decrease inflammation, balance hormones, balance mood. So I'm going to go through some of those benefits. But first, I want to explain to you what an insulin sensitizer is. Insulin plays an incredibly important role in our bodies. Basically, when we eat certain foods, especially carbohydrates or sugar, our insulin immediately goes up in our body so that it cues our cells to open and take in the glucose, um, fructose, or other sugars as energy so that we can use them and kind of sweep them out of the bloodstream. If our cells don't respond to insulin, it means that they're insulin resistant. So that happens with some people who have this genetic predisposition to diabetes or insulin resistance is that we eat certain foods, but then our cells don't respond in the normal way. The insulin goes up, but the cells don't open to take in the food as energy. And so when it doesn't do that, we have this excess sugar kind of floating around in our blood, causing inflammation. Not only that, but our insulin levels rise and keep rising because our cells are not responding. So the insulin is like, if I'm in more quantity, maybe then the cells will respond. 
body is really trying to make it work. So the higher levels of insulin can actually be toxic to so many aspects of our health. But, you know, because we're more focused on fertility with this podcast, uh, I'll, you know, tell you a little bit about how it's toxic to your fertility. Insulin resistance or having these high insulin levels can be toxic to the development of a placenta. So if you're already pregnant and the placenta is developing, high insulin levels can actually damage the placenta and cause miscarriage. Insulin resistance or having higher insulin or blood sugar levels can greatly affect your chances of implantation. I have another episode called Why Sugar Poisons Your Fertility. I know it's very strongly worded, but it essentially goes through these aspects and why it's so important to really avoid sugar and excess carbs and unhealthy foods whilst you're producing your eggs and also big time for implantation. So yeah, you want to make sure as much as you can that you are keeping your insulin and blood sugar levels balanced. Not only is it toxic to the placenta, it's also toxic to your ability to have implantation. I see a lot of chemical pregnancies or failed implantation happen with insulin resistance and uh, imbalanced blood sugar and insulin. And then, you know, for those of you that are working on your egg quality, this is a huge consideration because with the rising of insulin and blood sugar levels, there's a cascade of inflammation in your system, which causes free radical damage and free radical damage is like an accelerated aging of our eggs. I see a lot of women who have kind of, you know, a tendency towards craving sugar or certain carbohydrates or a lot of gluten products in their diet. And and this can be really troublesome for your fertility on many fronts. Basically, this is why having a natural form of an insulin sensitizer can be really helpful. Now, this does not take the place of a healthy diet and lifestyle. Exercise, healthy diet, these are the things that keep our insulin and blood sugar in balance. So you can't really neglect those, but this can be an assist for you. Myo-inositol, for example, can really help control carb cravings and sugar cravings. So if you, you know, really kind of have like a struggle controlling yourself when it comes to these things, like you munch at night or you have certain snacks, there's candy around the office, what have you, then taking myo-inositol can actually really help you control that and get these habits more in check. So that's something to consider. I think part of why it can help with that is its ability to stabilize mood and anxiety. So it's really, really amazing that it's been studied to treat PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is a fairly severe form of mood disorder that that happens premenstrually. It's been studied to treat OCD, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, depression, panic disorders, and last but not least, anxiety. And I know a lot of us, you know, tend to engage in impulsive eating due to anxiety and feeling emotionally, you know, not so balanced. And so myonostal can be a huge assist for getting you to feel more well emotionally and thus make better decisions. Again, exercise, healthy diet, these are ways to get there too. But if you need a little bit of help, this is a good option for you. On top of its ability to help you balance your appetite, reduce carbon sweet cravings, balance your mood, it's also really great to combat metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome is something that's often associated with PCOS, um, and it involves high triglycerides, like high cholesterol, fatty liver, having belly fat, trouble controlling your weight, and uh, predisposition to heart disease. So it's something that can help kind of keep that in check, again, alongside a healthy lifestyle is the best way to go. 
It reduces androgen levels, so male hormone levels, which generally come alongside some unpleasant symptoms such as hair loss or hair thinning on the head. And while you have hair thinning on the head, then suddenly you have sideburns or nipple hair or belly hair, um, basically patterns of hair growth that are not normal for a female. Uh, Another sign of high androgen levels is acne. So if you have a history of cystic acne or just trouble with acne, then you may have been dealing with insulin resistance and or high androgen levels. It is really great for reducing the chance of gestational diabetes or managing gestational diabetes and its complications during pregnancy. One of the complications of gestational diabetes can be babies of high birth weight, potential to have more complications with preeclampsia. So uh, if you are already pregnant and you potentially are having higher blood sugar and insulin levels, then myonostal can be helpful in place of using a drug like metformin as long as you're, again, also managing your lifestyle. As mentioned before, it's especially well-researched for the treatment of women with PCOS. Irregular menstruation, absent or irregular ovulation, ovarian cysts, uh, and then, you know, the the complications of PCOS that we spoke about, such as metabolic syndrome or high androgen levels. We will get right back to today's episode in just a sec, but I didn't want to miss the opportunity to tell you about an exciting new project that I have underway. So here it is. I get a lot of questions about what to eat and avoid when trying to get pregnant. Since so many of you are interested in optimizing your fertility via nutrition, I've created a very special course that teaches you the ins and outs of just that. It hasn't launched yet, but keep your eyes and ears peeled from my course on fertility nutrition. Whether you are already undergoing IVF or just trying the old-fashioned way, my goal is to help give you all the nutritional tools you need to enhance your fertility and speed your path to baby. All right, let's jump back in. I'm going to mention some research that backs up the use of myonositol for PCOS so that you understand that it's well researched at this point and that people are using it and studying it and the dosages have been seen to be helpful for a good number of women. So one of the studies was on women who were not ovulating regularly and over a six-month period, two grams of myonositol was used and 88% of the uh, women in the study were able to have restored their ovulation. So if you have PCOS, irregular uh, ovulation, irregular menstruation, then, you know, this could be a really simple thing for you to undertake. Again, I I do believe that the nutrition and lifestyle is going to be very helpful alongside this, but simply introducing um, two grams of myonositol daily can be um, super helpful. Very interesting also was that even after Uh, the women ceased taking it, 72% of them maintained regular ovulation after that. So I know a lot of you listening to this podcast uh, are well entrenched in your fertility journey already, and you probably don't have six months to just kind of wait around for ovulation to be restored, but perhaps you know somebody, uh, or maybe you're thinking about taking a break and trying to get a handle on your hormones. And so for that reason, this information is pertinent. For those of you undergoing IVF, the use of myonositol was seen to really help with improving IVF success, especially when combined with folic acid. So what happened with this study is that women were seeing better egg quality, better embryo quality, 
quality, more eggs rendered without having to use more medication, uh, which is really great because with PCOS, because of the high AMH or high egg count, sometimes you're more prone to basically getting OHSS, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, which can, you know, fill your lungs with fluid, make you very uncomfortable in your abdominal region, just super, super bloated and feeling ill. And in severe cases, you can end up in the hospital. So with PCOS, if we can use lesser dosages and still get of medications and still get a good rendering of eggs, then that is the ideal. So that was a pretty cool study. There was another study that showed the same thing, increased egg quality, reduced needs for medication, for extra medication, more eggs produced, better quality of embryos. And you know, this is one of the major issues with PCOS is that you produce a lot of eggs, which is great. You can maybe, you know, in an IVF cycle, get like 50 eggs, 40 eggs, 30 eggs, but a lot of them end up being bad quality because of the effects of PCOS on the quality of your eggs. No matter if you have a lot of eggs, we are always looking at ways to improve the quality so that you get the best results out of your fertility treatment. Myonositol was always also used in a study in combination with melatonin for PCOS at a dose of four grams or uh, 4,000 milligrams to improve egg and embryo quality. And it was effective for that too. So melatonin is an antioxidant and we'll address that in another uh, episode, but it is shown to be in this study very helpful in combination with the myonositol. And it can be also super effective for certain things on its own because melatonin is a hormone that the the body naturally produces. um, It can have certain effects on the cycle. And so we don't want to kind of prescribe this one willy nilly. Uh, So again, I'll, I'll address that in another episode, but always be careful that the supplements you're taking are the ones that are right for you because it really makes a difference. We can, we can do damage or we can, improve on things. And obviously we're looking to optimize rather than be counterproductive. So on that note, this supplement is not for those with low androgen levels. So low male hormone levels, and that's something that would be tested in fertility treatment. So if you are considering this supplement for yourself, then I would definitely um, get tested for low androgen levels. It is also dodgy territory with premature ovarian insufficiency without any indication of blood sugar or insulin issues. Because it's been most studied for PCOS, we are more comfortable with it being used in that case. But here's the issue. So many people with PCOS or on the PCOS spectrum have not been diagnosed. In fact, I see a plethora of patients that I'm like, "Hmm, I'm pretty sure you have PCOS, but it just hasn't been diagnosed. And the reason why that is, is because it's a spectrum disorder and it can come and go. So like you may not have a high... Um, blood sugar and insulin level all the time. And you may not have cysts or irregular cycles. You may not have trouble with your weight or acne or some of those classic PCOS symptoms. You may have, you know, in your earlier years, maybe had a few cysts, or maybe you've had an irregular cycle here and there, or maybe your cycle is completely regular and you're thin and there's nothing really indicating that you would have PCOS at all. Sometimes one of the indicators is that you have a very high AMH number, uh, like four, five, six, even, you know, I've seen it up to like nine or 10. For some, it's also uh, like an imbalance ratio of LH to FSH. And sometimes with women with PCOS, um, they often have like continuously elevated LH numbers, but that's also something that's characteristic of um, premature ovarian insufficiency. So it's tricky. It requires a good look and it requires you, in my opinion, to be very observant of your own body and tendencies. I think people can often get into touch with whether they might be on the spectrum themselves because you're living in your body, you know your history. And even if a doctor spent a bunch of time with you, they're not going to remember all of the things that 
that you are going to be tuned into. So think about things like, you know, are you somebody that craves a lot of sugar or carbohydrates? Are you somebody who craves wine? Um, cause that's another form of sugar. Do you tolerate alcohol well, or do you find that you get drunk pretty easily and don't tolerate it well at all? Do you have mood disorders that maybe are hormonally linked? Like before your period, do you find that your cycle is longer, like a 35 day cycle, or maybe even longer than that? Or sometimes do you just skip ovulation or skip menstruation entirely? Do you have a history of cysts? Do you have a history of acne? Do you have trouble controlling your weight? I find this to be a huge one. Now, I know plenty of women who have PCOS or insulin resistance that are thin and you really don't see any trace of things, but they often also work out and eat really healthy. Um, But there are those that are just naturally skinny also. I do find that one of the hallmark symptoms of insulin resistance is difficulty in controlling weight. So if you are a person that's you know consistently struggled with your weight over the course of your life and you don't really know why, then there's a good chance that you might be insulin resistant. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have PCOS. It means that you're insulin resistant and that it didn't you know kind of manifest into the reproductive system as much. But insulin resistance is still well treated by myonositol. So that's something to consider that you don't have to have polycystic ovarian syndrome to to take my own acetol. More important is that you uh, are probably likely to have insulin resistance. So that's why I'm trying to teach you how to kind of identify this too. All those symptoms of PCOS will be indicators, but it's also just, you know, these symptoms of more isolated insulin resistance of trouble controlling cravings or a tendency towards certain foods, tendency towards weight gain and that sort of thing. Blood sugar and insulin levels are also rarely diagnosed because hemoglobin A1C is the blood test that's generally done to check for this. And it's not actually the best test to diagnose blood sugar and insulin issues. The problem is that this test doesn't pick up insulin resistance in the majority of healthy individuals. I find the A1C is only high in those who really live on the edge in terms of too much sugar, carb intake, gluten, booze, lack of exercise. Because if you exercise and eat even reasonably healthy, and I'm not even talking formal exercise, I'm talking even walking, your hemoglobin A1C is likely not going to be out of range. And out of range is like 5.7 or more. You can get a better measure of whether you might have some blood sugar and insulin issues by doing a fasting glucose test. My even more favorite measure is to buy a glucose monitor for home and prick your finger when you first wake up and then one again, one hour after each meal or snack. And you can just pull a chart online of what the normal ranges are, but If you start doing that at home, not only will you learn if there's an issue with your blood sugar and insulin balance, but you will start to learn which foods and habits are spiking your blood sugar because it's super, super helpful. Like I had one patient who um, she was struggling with her weight and mood and she had not been diagnosed with insulin resistance and I was quite sure that she had it. So I told her to start pricking her finger at home. She was reacting like somewhat normally to a lot of foods. She ate an apple and then she had like a one... 60 something blood sugar, which is high. Uh, and you know, that's a, that's a natural whole food, but it might've been that she partially had an allergy to it. It might've been that she ate it in the evening. Uh, it could have been a few things, but the fact is, uh, she had an abnormal response to it, um, which was an indicator that there, you know, that there was that underlying response happening in her body. Once she identified which foods were doing that to her, she was able to, um, more easily manage her weight by cutting down on those foods and changing her habits. So that is really, really cool. You know, the the common things as we know that would drive up blood sugar are refined forms of sugar, excess of carb, um, not moving very much, uh, alcohol, 
But you know, the lesser known things are stress levels. So high stress can push up your blood sugar and lack of sleep can also uh, push up your blood sugar. So keep in mind that you have control over this with your lifestyle, um, but it doesn't hurt to add a bit of myo-inositol to the process to help you control things better and get quicker results. So the um, dosage in studies has ranged from about two grams um, to four grams on average, but up to six or 12 grams. So I would say, you know, if you're sticking to an average of like two to three grams daily, then that's probably good. I don't see a ton of negative side effects from myonositol, but you know, some people experience a little bit of a loose stool, mild nausea, dizziness, or headache. The most common of those symptoms I've seen is a bit of loose stool. Um, and it's very similar to the drug metformin, actually, that the, those symptoms really kind of parallel um, metformin also. So you can start easy and, you know, at a lower dosage, see how you feel and kind of work your way up. And, you know, with supplements and nutrient therapy, don't expect this to sort of work miracles overnight. You kind of want to be on it for a little while. If we're working on um, egg quality and deeper issues, then, you know, try to focus on a few months. If you're trying to just improve chances of implantation, then it can be a shorter period of time. You just get started and, you know, keep on with your efforts and, and hopefully you'll see success soon. Again, be careful of the lifestyle stuff, the nutrition stuff. I'm going to be providing more and more resources on that. Uh, but we don't ever want to just use supplements in place of a healthy lifestyle. It just doesn't work as well. The research supports that these things work, but I can tell you from clinical practice of 15 years that it works way, way better in conjunction with healthy lifestyle and nutrition. So if you want to have some of the information about myonositol, and its benefits and who it's for, uh, you can go to www.naternalife.com and there is a cheat sheet that you can download. It's called the Fertility Supplement Master List and that'll give you info on that particular supplement and a bunch of others if you wanted to kind of have the intel on which ones were my top choices were for, for fertility and the research to back them. And then, you know, if you really want to um, order and get started on, on this supplement or others, and then my suggestion is always to use a safe dispensary. You don't know the vendors on Amazon, where they're sending stuff from, if they've rubbed off some, you know, expiry date, if it's been stored at the right temperature, it's just really dodgy territory. So if you know a good vitamin vendor that uh, has good brands, then obviously use them. You can go directly to the website of certain reputable brands and order directly from there. You can also go to our website, www.naternalife.com. And there are two dispensary links up there, Wellevate and Fullscript that you can order through. Uh, and, and those ones will come within a couple days. They'll have been stored at the right temperature and they'll get you what you need quickly. If you're having trouble accessing those links, then you can also email us at info at or call the office 646-609-4250 and somebody will help you get set up. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. I, your interests and passion for this topic are what fuel me going forward. So if there is something else that you would like me to address, then uh, please reach out. You can reach out through social media or to the Naturna Institute in New York City, the contacts that I just mentioned, and just let us know what you want to hear about. Take care and best to you. We'll talk next time. I'm really happy you've tuned in and joined the community, and I'm so excited to bring you more helpful content with each episode. In order to make this podcast as helpful as possible, I want to hear your input on what questions you need answered to get you feeling empowered on your fertility journey. You can DM me on Instagram at 
at naturna underscore life or at naturally CB to share your most important fertility related questions. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please follow and share with friends. My mission is to help as many women and couples as possible. And for that, I need your help. Yours as always in love and light, Dr. Christina.